welcome to the Dear Katie podcast. This is Katie Kessner. And this is Claire Kaplan. And I just want to remind our listeners that the contents of this podcast can be very difficult to hear and uh, for anyone really, but also particularly triggering for survivors of trauma. So in case that is difficult for you, don't forget that it's fine if you need to take a break or to speak to someone who can support you, whether it's a family member or friend, or reach out to a hotline if you need to. We'll also post the address of the Take Back the Night Foundation website at the conclusion of the podcast, which will list uh, resources for you. So let's hear from another Dear Katie letter writer. And this person wrote to me just after hearing me speak in their student union. I told my story, but no one listened. So I kept it with me and pretend everything is okay. We have to get up day and night and fight our feelings, fight our hearts and go out into the world and pretend everything is perfect. Pretend everything is just a-okay. Yeah, we know the battle. We are fighting, we know. Thanks, Katie, thanks for your story. I don't know how many lives you touched there, but I know you touched mine. It's not necessarily what happened, but how it fits into our bigger life picture or understanding of what's appropriate in our our lives that we thought was going to happen, what's fitting on the resume, what's going to go on our LinkedIn profile, what's, what's part of that being perfect, and what does it really mean to be perfect. In fact, for many of us, it's going to be part of our becoming a much more perfect, powerful person in the world. So thank you to our dear Katie Letter Writer. And today we're so pleased to have with us Ella. Um, Ella, thank you for taking this journey with us, with our listeners, and sharing your your own story, your survivorship, your journey to healing and where to next. So welcome, welcome. And I think it would be wonderful to hear from you a little bit about who you are. Just give us a quick snapshot. Of course. And thank you so much for having me. And so a really quick piece about me. I am 24 years old. I have been born and raised in the Midwest. I moved to DC for a short while, but then eventually came back to the Midwest and I'm currently in law school. Oh my gosh. Law school is so intense. <laughs> wonderful. Wonderful. Um, so proud, proud to have you with us. So um, share with us what brings you exactly precisely to your microphone today. What What's the story you'd like to share with our listeners? Definitely. So the story I want to share is something that I realized is a story that so many of my friends, my peers, people that I have talked to just in passing also share where it's the story where you had no idea that it was sexual assault until you really reflect on it. And you feel the pressure that you can't do anything because they're an acquaintance or there's somebody that you feel like you're going to have to see for the next four years of your life. And that's college sexual assault. And it's just really tough. So that's what inspired me to share my story to begin with and why I'm here. So how did how did this story start? Definitely. So the story started when I was a freshman and I had joined the track team at my college and I had just gotten back from a trip 
with some other students and we had our final track meet. And after every final track meet that we have at the beginning of, at the end of our outdoor or indoor season, we would have this major party that everybody on campus would come to. It was very notorious and I was so excited. I put on a white shirt and blue shorts that I thought was the iconic look. And I had a bottle of UV cake that I cannot taste today. I refuse to even look at it. It's horrible. And I ended up drinking that entire bottle that night. But the story basically went that I showed up to this party and there are these two track meet, track teammates there who I found so attractive. I thought they were they were so fast. They were so athletic. I thought they were the cutest people. But one of them was taken by my best friend and one of them was taken by somebody else. I, that later that night, had told one of them, you know, I, you should keep some distance from me because I find you attractive and I don't want to ruin anything with your relationship. And apparently they took that as consent. So later that night, I was leaving the party. They offered to walk me to the next party I was going to because I truthfully had no idea where I was walking and was going to walk by myself. So I thought they were being gentlemen. And ultimately, they coerced me to walk back to the dorms with them. They got me back outside so they could separate from their girlfriends. And they trapped me in a gazebo. They told me that somebody was going to come and see us, so we needed to hide, which is when they were like, oh, I'm going to break up with my girlfriend. No worries. If something happens, it's okay. And so I ended up kissing one of them. And they said, people are really going to come. We should go up to our rooms. And so I went up to the dorms because I was a freshman. I was terrified of somebody seeing me with these two men who had girlfriends. And I had already had a reputation on campus for being very flirtatious wanting to see people and go on dates. So that was my worst fear. I had no idea my worst fear was just about to come. I love women with a reputation. <laughs> um, how did you acquire such, you know, notoriety? And I, and I, I only applaud you because I'm clapping you, but you might've been like, oh my gosh, this is my reputation or, hey, I've got the reputation. Like which direction were you going? This reputation came about in an awful way, but I really took it in stride. So I actually cheated on my boyfriend, my high school boyfriend, that everybody thought we were going to make it. And then I got to college and was like, oh my goodness, I'm attractive because in high school, everybody thought I was so nerdy. And then I get to college and people are like, wow, no, you're really pretty. And I was like, that's awesome. That's also kind of plays into why I told that man right off the bat that, hey, I know you have a girlfriend, you should stay away from me because I had a reputation and it was a reputation that I had little to no morals. If you wanted to talk to me, I would talk to you because I felt like I was attractive enough to do that. And, but I also look back on it and I think that it was insecurity that I kind of cloaked in that, that I had just found this. And so instead of pretending that or kind of like showing my real self, I was just going to be as confident as I possibly could, get all the attention 
And that's what I thought made me fun to be around. So in a sense, you were discovering a power that you didn't know you had. Did you feel powerful when you thought of yourself as attractive? I definitely thought it was powerful. Knowing that I could go into rooms and just become this different person and get who I wanted, I found that very powerful, especially to kind of have people know my name, whether good or bad. I thought that was really cool. I hadn't had that before. So there you are, and the guys lead you to this room, Mm -hmm. the storm room. Yes. So at that point, they had dropped off their girlfriends, and they told the girlfriend, who is my really good friend, who was one floor above me, they're like, hey, we're just going to go make sure she gets to bed safe. So I went downstairs. They actually put in my code for me. And we get into the room and I immediately collapse on the floor. I don't remember seconds after that. But what I do remember next was hearing somebody say, switch me. Because those words will forever be burned into me. Because I woke up and I was naked on my roommate's bed with both of them on top of me, one performing oral on me and the other one on top of my chest. And in that moment, I thrusted my knees up. I saw one man's eyes roll to the back of his head and the other one just fell to the floor and continued to beg for me to like reciprocate to him. And that was the most terrifying moment because I had no idea how I ended up up there. But the first thing that went through my mind was that, did I make that choice? Because I immediately started blaming myself. So you basically defended yourself physically, automatically, in a way, it sounds like, without... Without... Yes. Without even thinking, I just knew this is not something I wanted. I did not want this at all. And immediately the repercussions in my head start, I started to blame myself because I was like, how did I get into this situation? Mm -hmm. And so I think that immediate thought put me into self-defense where I thrusted them off of me because I knew I didn't want to be there. And then how did they end up out of your room? How they ended up out of my room is one of the reasons I so truly and in my soul believe in miracles because the party I was actually trying to get to was I was supposed to be meeting my friends who were not on the track team. And I never clearly got to this party because they told me I was going to get caught. So my friend felt like something was wrong and she knew the code to my room And as I'm sitting there trying to put my clothes back on, this man is sitting on the ground on his knees asking me to go perform more sexual acts with him. My friend throws the door open and three of my best guy friends are right behind her. And I remember thinking in that moment, how did they know? How did they know I was in trouble? And thinking, thank gosh, because... I felt in that moment safe. Nothing bad's going to happen to me after that. And my friends took the men 
out of the room. And I remember telling them, no, nothing happened. Nothing happened because in that moment, again, I thought, who is going to believe me being alone in this room with two men that it was not my fault? But I just remember being so grateful that they did open that door. It felt like I've never experienced euphoria like that before. When the door flung open, I can just see that. Had you already gotten your clothes on? I already had my clothes on. But I remember I didn't, it was just my jeans. I had not put underwear on and I would never, ever do that. And so I remember waking up in the middle of the night with my jeans still on and not having underwear on, being in my head thinking, so this wasn't a nightmare. That actually happened. So let's take a breath for a moment and... How were you feeling at that point? Do you even, do you remember how you were feeling? I remember feeling like it wasn't what I had pictured. I hadn't even thought of the world's word sexual assault yet. What I had thought in my head was, oh my goodness, what if they tell their girlfriends? I'm going to have to transfer schools. Like this reputation that's not a fun thing if this comes out. And one of their girlfriends was one of my really good friends. They were on the track team. I also remember thinking, if this was something bad, I can't report it because again, these are two of the most prominent athletes on our campus. Everybody knows them. Everybody supports them. They are not going to support me. Even if I did say this, Nobody's going to support me. Nobody's going to believe me. So I just kept thinking, what am I going to do next? Because it's not doing anything. You have this sort of charged environment. But somehow they had you as a target. Do you think? I think that they did not go into that night thinking that this is what was going to happen. But as soon as I said the words hey, stay away from me because I find you attractive and you have a girlfriend. I think to them that was an invitation that I wanted it, that I wanted them, that I found them attractive and that I would fall right into it. And I think from that moment on, they were just going to do whatever. But Ella... A long time ago, someone said, oh, you invited him back to your residence hall after he bought you this fancy dinner. And you, if you say, mm-hmm. and and people said that was an invitation for me, right? So if you say he, they thought you were an invitation, I'd really like to dig into what that wording means because a lot of people use that. They use it as a uh, rape myth. They use it as an excuse for behavior. Women use it against other women. They say you were inviting him. You were dressed provocative. The, the invitation wording is really incredible. So let's just talk about what your understanding of that meant um, and how you interpret that to have resonated with those guys. 
I acknowledged to them, I find, I find you attractive. I simultaneously acknowledged that they should stay away because they had a girlfriend. And that meant that if they didn't stay away, I might try something. Like I might try to go for them. Well, it's it's almost as if it was like a a male fantasy, mm-hmm. a porn fantasy, right? The the idea that when a woman says I'm attracted to you, what they hear is I want to I want to fuck you. Mm-hmm. And again, I think that that is exactly the wording that they must have heard. And to go back to the invitation aspect of it, it was as if they heard me say that, and because of that. They found me attractive too. So if we both find each other attractive, why would we not be together? Why would they not try that? Because at that point, they are going to assume we want to, I want it right back. So if they were to try something, why would I stop them? Because I already had said I did. People will always say, why dangle temptation? But we're full of temptation. Mm -hmm. This is the ultimate quest of humanity, right? Temptation looms large in front of all of us, whether that's sexual, Mm -hmm. food, or any gratification, right? And if you can't handle it, and someone's putting it, if someone's stuffing cake in your face and you're on a diet, you're a human, Mm -hmm. not a monkey, right? You can say, no cake for me. Exactly. I can't. I'm no, a diabetic. I can't I, do cake. I think, actually, I know when I said it, it was because I didn't think that they would actually try something. I wanted to say it kind of what I was saying earlier. Like, I had this reputation. I wanted to dangle it in front of them. Like, I wanted to be flirty because they're these guys. I kind of wanted to show them. I love that even better. Oh my gosh, Ella, Mm -hmm. I love that even better. I've risen to my occasion. I am the queen. I am the rock star. I am the goddess. And if you can't handle Mm -hmm. me, like, well, there's also the piece here. There's also a piece here of of self determination and that somehow or other they decided that whatever you said, they decided what was going to happen and you gave up your rights of self-determination. It kind of gets to the, you know, and this is another conversation, but, but of, of sexual citizenship, right. Of your rights as a citizen, your sexual citizenship, your right as a human being to decide and determine what happens to your body. They decided that they interpreted what you said and they decided what was going to happen. And Claire, I love thinking about the sidebar that goes on in the minds. And I I kind of think there's a sidebar that goes on the minds, you know, as we're transforming society, as we're transforming rape culture. I love thinking about the sidebar of the, you know, the mentality. And I like thinking, Ella, about that there's two of them. And they're talking, but not talking. They're in... I don't, you know, they didn't just text each other mm-hmm. before raping you to my, your knowledge mm-hmm. or my knowledge, right? They didn't say, oh, here's our plan. We're going to execute. There's this mentality and undercurrent that says, here's the status quo and we're going for it, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And part of what we're doing with this podcast is transforming that subculture and that that we're disrupting the synergy. We're disrupting the psychology. We're disrupting the syncopation of those two guys. We're saying like, oh, really? Maybe you're going to get called out. (laughs) I don't have your back Mm -hmm. because people, because the woman you're about to rape may call you out. And you are that woman, Ella. I appreciate that because I really feel following this event, I felt so small because exactly what Claire had said, they took that choice away from me. I wasn't actually, that's not what I intended at all. What happened was not what I wanted, but that didn't matter to them. It didn't matter that I was passed out. What mattered to them was I said I wanted it. So that's what happened. And they took my voice away from me. And I felt so small. It felt like that power I felt I had was not a good thing anymore. And I think what's so important about sharing these stories is to show that you do have your voice. You always have it and you can always speak up when it comes down to it. It's not, they never take anything away from them because they're the ones who are so small that they couldn't handle the fact that I might say no. I didn't actually want it. And you rec- you've reclaimed your power by doing this. I I hope so. And I hope that whoever hears these stories reclaims their own power in their own way, however makes them feel strong. That's right. So with the rest of the time we have with you, um, Ella, I, I would love to hear from you since you've, you've risen above and beyond, right? I, but I do think it would be really helpful to say, okay, here's your first year of college. This is what happened. Um, I think we need to, to close end it with, did you tell anyone? If so, whom? How did they respond? Let's start with that. What happened next? So the next morning, later, we went to an amusement park. But when I went home to change first, I ran into my roommate. And I, as we were, as roommates do, as friends do, after the night, everybody goes out on campus. It was our last night on campus before summer would start. Everybody got so intoxicated. We were all swapping stories. But my roommate and I, I tell her what had happened, saying, you would never guess what had happened to me last night. Kind of thinking, maybe I can twist this. Like, these are two really cool guys on campus. But when I told her, she looked at me and said, that was a soul. And I remember thinking to myself, no, it wasn't. And if it was, I'm not going to tell anybody because... I didn't want to believe it was assault because I knew I couldn't do anything. From that moment on, I just didn't want to tell anybody because I was scared of that same reaction throughout the years. However, I have told my sister, who is my best friend, because in that moment, I started dating people who were on the track team just to kind of protect myself. And one of the people I dated was really, really good friends with them to the point they lived in the same apartment. And I thinking to myself, thinking so far ahead, what if we get married and they're groomsmen? 
because my sister would be my maid of honor. You know how we all do this. You think 20 steps ahead to marriage, what the rest of your life's going to picking out kids' names. And I remember telling my sister, because I was like, what if this happens? She was like, wait, hold on. And since that moment, she has been nothing but supportive. But she also completely understood why I did not do anything. And she didn't, wasn't mad at me for that, which I really appreciated because I think that's my biggest fear is when you share these stories, people look at you kind of, well, why didn't you do anything? Your story sounds like the quintessential like rape case, sexual assault. So why didn't you do anything? And I just always want to say, well, what would you have done? So you never told anyone and you carried it with you. Mm-hmm. They graduate, I assume. Mm-hmm. And did you stay with this boy that you were dating? Oh, goodness. No. Okay. So you're not with him. So you graduate. So tell me what's happening today. How are you? Did did you ever get, did you find a way to process what happened to you or, or, you know, what did you do about that? Processing is, I know now going to be a lifelong journey because there are certain things that still just terrify me. Thinking about going to homecoming terrifies me. And the process afterwards, after I graduated, I moved to DC and I really found myself. I realized, however, it was because I was in an area where nobody knew anything about me. I could do one thing one night and be free to do something the next night with somebody else, go on dates every night because nobody would know. Nobody was going to know each other. It was freedom. And that freedom kind of let me get my voice back, made me feel confident and feeling attractive. And because of that, I found myself and I brought myself back after two years to kind of the place, the area where it all started. And now today I'm actually dating somebody who I'm so happy with. But the craziest thing is that when we were all in college together, he was really, really good friends with the two of them. And he is one of the only other people I've ever shared this story with because for me to be in a happy relationship with him, just kind of going along with this lifelong journey of processing, I had to tell him because I don't want them any part of his life if he's going to be in my life. That was a requirement because I've moved on. I'm stronger because of it, but I don't want to be around that anymore. That was a choice I made. How did that freedom feel to you <laughs> to be able to do anything? Like you're not in a one mile. You're. I'm just. I'm. I'm. I'm like. I'm. I'm putting you in a space pod and moving you from the one mile radius of your, you know, twelve hundred people into this mm-hmm. major million people city. And I think that's got to be freeing. Yeah, it could either be daunting or freeing, right? That moment can be either like, oh my gosh, that's the my worst nightmare because I'm pu- pushing in on myself, but you found freedom in that. Yes. Yeah, so, oh my goodness. I I wonder if my voice will change because I'm smiling so, so big. I think if any part of the story would make me cry, it is this because it, it's so happy. It's something that completely changed my life. 
And the journey, it was so freeing because I was whoever I wanted to be that day, that night. It wasn't one action defined my next four years as it was in college. I made one choice. I was a freshman and that followed me for four years. But moving to a big city, I could dress however I wanted. I could do anything I wanted. I did. My parents were across the country. I could make any choices I wanted to. I was financially independent. I was sexually independent. I started dating a variety of genders. I really got to explore every facet of myself, even to the point where I shaved half my head because I, I honestly, I thought I could. And I did it. And people still found me attractive. And that was powerful to me in itself. It was finding out who I could be if I was by myself. And that was the most powerful thing that to this day has ever happened to me. Just the freedom to be whoever I wanted to be and deciding that day by day, not based off of what people had prior conceptions of me, but what they viewed me as face value. And just moving forward from that was, again, the biggest blessing. Mm-hmm. Ella, wait, 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 wait. This, what you just said was so major. Let me just dig in a moment more on that. Because that the freedom and the breath, and I could see the smile on your darn face. I don't even know what your face looks like, but I could feel it almost. And the, the smile that you gave is such a refreshment. And no matter where our listeners are, I want the smile on your face and the freedom to walk a street, enter a space, a bar, a restaurant, free from guilt. What I'm hearing from you, Ella, is I did this free from guilt. I did this free from my past. I did this free from my parents. I did this free from judgment. And all of those things are magical. I love that you landed where your heart is with a partner. But I really like the revelry of you being free. Um, And maybe sometimes our listeners are scared to take that first step, but you did. You went to a new space, a new place, a big city. And how did you even make the first step alone, not knowing anyone? I think if we could dig in on that just for a second. Yeah. So it was rebellious in the moment because actually when I graduated, I had a job back from where I'm at. And I left it. I, in fact, would not recommend this, but I emailed them and just said, just kidding. I am moving across the country. I will never forget my mom, who I think was just as terrified for me to leave. But she said, if you don't like it, you can always come right back. And that's so true. I feel like she gave you the the choppies. You were walking the tightrope, but you she put the net. Mm-hmm. Because once you leave, and if you genuinely hate it, you don't like it, it's not even that you have to go back to where you came from. You can try the next place. There is literally nothing in this moment tying you to one place. And once you realize that, that's a whole freedom in itself, is to realize where you are from or where you are at 
the things that might be following you, those demons that are following you, they are just that. They are nothing. You are your own self and you can discover that wherever you are, but you can always go back. You can always try something new and having that that comfort with the terrifying aspect of moving was really what got me through it. I love it. I And I, impl- I applaud you clearly, Ella, but I hope every one of our listeners will be so brazen and so bold. No matter what tethers you, even though Ella just said, oh, my mom gave me a safety net, you don't even need it. I would only say, I, you know, it's helpful, but please don't let that stop you because not everyone is gifted with a safety net. Mm-hmm. Not everyone is gifted with a parent who's a safety net or financial status or stability or support from their community. Right. Like not all of us gets a safety net. I, I round out our conversation and your you know, vulnerability, your descriptions, all of them have been so lovely and wonderful. Ella, where do you land on, you know, how ha- how are you navigating your future? And what would you give as advice to our, our listeners? That is never you who is the person who is small, no matter how small your attacker might make you feel, no matter how small the world may make you feel, it is all completely false and you can be the person who lights that fire within yourself all it takes is confidence in where you are headed to break free from those and your whole world can be free just taking that step to not listen to how small they want to make you because they're the ones who are so scared of being small that they have to make you feel small and that's not fair to you So be as big as you can be, take up all the space, and light the fire within yourself. That's wonderful advice. This has been another fabulous Dear Katie podcast with Ella, our strong and very open survivor. So Ella, welcome. Thank you. And onward, upward for you. Claire, if you could share with our um, listeners where they can go for more support. Yes. So you, if you visit takebackthenight.org, you'll find a list of resources and information about the legal support hotline. And as Ella has discovered, we're never alone. There are many walking with us in healing, in supporting survivors, and in ending sexual violence. So thank you all for listening and for supporting Ella tonight. Thank you, Clara. Thank you, Ella, and all listeners for the Dear Katie podcast. Thank you for taking this journey, supporting Claire, supporting Ella in all of our steps forward. We will together shatter the silence and end the violence. Good night, everyone.